This is the Managing Smartly podcast with Kestrel Blackmore, show number four. You're listening to the Managing Smartly podcast, helping software developers become managers. If you're a software developer looking for advice on how to be a team leader or manager, you've come to the right place. Stay tuned as we interview developers who have already made the leap and look to gain insight on the mistakes and successes they have made along the way. Now here's your host. Hi and welcome. You're listening to show number four of the Managing Smartly podcast. Today I'm interviewing Kate Matsudera, who's had a lot of experience in big corporates, through startups and crowdfunding. Please make sure you listen to the end as I'm going to give you some information on the contest I'm running to coincide with the launch of the podcast. Kate Matsudera specializes in building and operating large-scale web applications and has extensive experience building and managing high-performance teams that create really amazing technology to solve important problems. She has held roles as developer, project manager, product manager, through VP of engineering and chief technology officer. In 2013, Kate started her own company, Popforms, to help companies train their employees to be better at their jobs. Popforms was recently sold to O'Reilly Media. Kate has also created a little notebook all about setting goals and achieving your dreams called the Spark Notebook, funded via Kickstarter. Kate, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, It's great to have you along. Um, So just for a bit of context... Tell us a little bit about what you're doing nowadays. I guess that's probably around Think Think Pure. Think is, uh, yeah, it's one of that and the Urban Influence are like my two, and the Spark Notebook. So I still have the notebook, which you can read about on sparknotebook.com, which was my little Kickstarter that kind of turned into a whole, uh, it was a side project that turned into a business of itself, which is pretty exciting. And then Urban Influence is a design and branding agency. We do uh, websites and everything. And um, so I have the same partner in um, the Spark Notebook. I brought on a business partner, Urban Influence and Think. And so one of the big lessons I learned from doing platforms was not to be a solo founder. Um, it was so hard. And I decided I would never do that again. And so as I thought about what was next, I, I focused on finding a partner. And that was kind of how we kind of brought everything together. And um, so Urban Influence was kind of the big thing. And then Think was a joint venture that we started um, in the cannabis industry, which is sort of interesting because in Washington, where I live, it is legal. It's the only okay. startup I've ever done that in six months, we're already at over a million dollar run rate and we were profitable by month four. So oh, wow, excellent. it's a really crazy, um, It's I think the first time I've ever really been in a high growth industry. And that's where just everything is just changing and growing so fast. And, and it's, it's really interesting from the perspective, although you know it wasn't ever a field I ever thought I would go into, um, <laughs> and it was more of like an opportunity. And, and so I run all the operations, which is really interesting, um, coming from a technology background, I think, uh, kind of making that transition. I remember looking at Think Pure, and I was thinking, hey, on a tick, is this, is this correct? This, is, this seems so different to what you've previously done. Oh, it's totally different. And I think it was more of a an opportunity that uh, happened and it was more about doing it with the people um, than actually, you know, kind of doing with the product. But, you know, it's sort of like the end of prohibition all over again in the U.S., right? So where, you know, before alcohol used to be illegal and now it's sort of the same thing with cannabis. And I think that in the next five to 10 years, it will probably be federally legal. Um, That's what we're betting on, I guess. And so it's, it's interesting to be in such an early time in the industry and and particularly an industry that was kind of black market 
and not acceptable that is going legal and just all the kind of uh, nuances and challenges that come with that is very interesting. Um, for example, I don't know uh, what the laws are there, but uh, now I know the difference between a law and a rule and like how they get made and everything. And I, and I care a lot about local politics, whereas I never used to care at all. Um, so it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Um, so you were mentioning how, uh, you know, it's you're up to a million dollar run rate already. It's sort of a thing where in startups, you know, it seems, seems as though you've come across something now that's really working well. Is that, a, is that good? Is that a nice change? Or how is that similar to what you've been involved in before? Well, at Popforms, we never got to a million dollar run rate um, when I sold the company. Uh, we weren't we weren't even that close to it. Um, so um, that's a big difference from starting it. Um, and I think in technology companies, when you build software, you kind of make a large investment up front and you kind of build this application and these features like you have to have like an MVP and you try to minimize that investment as much as possible. But it's still a big investment. And then you kind of see if people like it and you can kind of I think people are all about trying like, you know, with lean startup to try and get something small out there as soon as possible and get feedback and kind of see, are you on the right track? Are you on the right track? So you can kind of pivot and iterate. And so I think that you know, it's sort of a different model. And I think we, we've tried to do that, but it's just because the demand is so high and it's such a high growth industry, it's more capital intensive to break through in sort of than some software, I think, because you have to buy a lot of, um, to do what we do, you have to buy a lot of machines and equipment and you have to have a facility. So there's a lot of um, CapEx cost up front. But yeah, it's really different. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's, um, let's maybe go back back to the beginning, and I, I see that you started off at Microsoft uh, with what looks like some pretty serious low-level programming chops. How did, that all, how did that all come about? And did you always know that you wanted to get into, into programming, or what started all that? Um, well, I loved science as a kid, biology, chemistry, in like even like fifth, sixth grade, like when I was young. I had a microscope when I was a little kid, and I used to, like, love looking at everything under the microscope, my hair, lettuce, random stuff I found outside. Um, and my mom would have me just, like, draw pictures of what I saw. And I was really little. I was probably, like, six or seven. It was, I was, um, you know, I was pretty little for that, I think. But it was, it was fun, and it was, like, my way of discovering the world. And um, I think that sort of got me interested in science. I went to college. I studied computer science. Um, I, I also uh, double majored with economics, and I kind of went into – and part of it was because I think I grew up really poor with a single parent, and and so I studied economics because I, like, wanted money, and I was like, okay, I, I should study this because that's how you make money. And then um, I ended up following computer science largely because at the time I graduated – which was, uh, you know, around 2000, that was where the jobs were. And so I was like, if I go here, I'll be able to get a job. And that was, that was largely how I picked my major. Um, that, and I, I did love programming. Um, it was easy for me. I felt like, uh, not easy and like it was challenging, but it was like doing a puzzle. Like I loved doing it. And so that was, that was really how I got into computer science and, and programming. And then, you know, I was lucky to get a really good job out of school at a big company and, then I worked at Amazon after that and ended up going into management, which was kind of unexpected. I never saw myself being, as I would put it, part of the bureaucracy. But I just, I was very opinionated. And I, I like to think I was a natural leader, sort of. But a lot of my management skills I actually honed and crafted over time uh, and got better at. 
So how did that how did how did you make that transition? Was it a planned thing or something you just fell into, or how did that happen? Well, it was at Amazon. It was more that I was as a developer. I really wanted to stay in not just in what we built, not just how we built it. And the only way to do that was to be in the meetings. And if I found my, I found myself going to all the meetings and. Uh, pretty soon it was just kind of a natural transition um, to move into a leadership role. So I was just going to the meetings and that really, it just kind of happened. But it wasn't something I wanted. And I, I would actually say when I first became a manager, I wasn't very good at it. I became a manager because I wanted control of my environment because I wanted to influence what we built. But that's not always the right reasons to be a manager, I think. Part of being a manager is wanting to uh, help other people be successful, to grow other people, to mentor other people. And that was something I think I wasn't good at, and I really had to develop that skill. Um, so I never failed at anything. I knew I wasn't a good manager. Uh, people didn't like working for me. And so I started reading books. I looked for people that were good managers, and I I really observed how they did things, and I tried to emulate them, and I, I read, and I read, and I read, and I talked to people, and I just, I think over time, I got really good at it, and I think that, I don't know, I think it's a constant craft, right? I think you always have to be learning, always have to be improving, but I kind of built a little brand around leading in technology organizations, so I'd like to think I'm an expert at it, or at least partially an expert as much as you can be an expert in something that is always changing and growing and different. Everyone I, everyone I talk with seems to be when they first start, A, they weren't good and B, it's kind of like you have to teach yourself, you know, um, there's no mentors or there's nothing really formal put in place. It's just sort of read some books and learn as you go along and that seems to be the same case for yourself as well. Is there anything... Um, Anything in particular that you first, when you first became a manager, that you did really wrong that was, you know, one of the toughest aspects possibly or a mistake maybe? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's kind of, I think there's kind of two big things. And I can even talk about when I was managing managers, like some of the mistakes I made. But when I first became a manager, I think one of the things I struggled with the most was what was appropriate to talk about and what wasn't. Um, I was always really just super transparent and everything, but I learned kind of early in my career. So I had this one employee that was giving me kind of a problem and, and I would just talk to my boss really freely about how he was having all these issues and then he would fix them. But I never went back to my boss and said, Oh, he addressed all these things. And then when we had calibration, which is when we do like performance reviews and raises and all of that, he was like, well, this guy had all these problems. And I'm like, yeah, but he fixed it. But it's sort of like, I always use the analogy of like taking out the trash. Like you can take out the trash really well, and but your parents or whomever might remember like the two times that you didn't, you know. Uh, yep. So um, I always come back to that. Like it's really, I, I think it's really important to know uh, when to ask for help from your management and also make sure that you're always presenting a really balanced view of your team um, because every relationship you have I always use this analogy, which I love, is like it's like a film strip, right? And every interaction with you have with someone creates a frame in that film strip. And you're interacting with your boss a lot, so you have a really long, very authentic film strip. They trust you. They know you. Um, but they aren't interacting with your team. And so every time you talk about your team, you're creating a frame in that film strip. And it's really important that you're creating as many positive ones, or if not more, than the negative ones. So just being really thoughtful about asking for advice and help and, and really – sharing the blenders right and I think learning how to fix things yourself around coaching and stuff like that so that's 
very long answer, but I think useful for people. No, that's good. You're right. It's a lot of times what I seem to hear is that, one, you don't hear anything from management, or two, you only hear from management when things go wrong. And I guess if you're only uh, talking up to your manager about issues, that's all. That's still the only frame of reference that they have, isn't it? So uh, that, that's a good point there. Yeah. So what do you think? What do you think is the fundamental goal of management? Um, I think the fundamental. Well, I think management and leadership are different, and mm-hmm. I think you can be a leader without being a manager, um, and you can be a good leader but not a good manager, and you can be a good leader and a good manager. I think to be a really good manager, you also have to be a good leader. So you know, I don't necessarily think you can just be a good manager. I think you have to have some leadership in there. But to me, management is really, um, especially, and I'm thinking people management, but also project management. It's about making sure the right things happen at the right time, uh, which means having the right people in the right role. And so understanding your team and the people and um, setting everybody up for success. And so the whole team can succeed. Uh, and so that's kind of how I think about it anyway. And so do you think uh, technical people make good managers? I think it depends on the person. Um, I do think that I've seen really amazing technologists that would be terrible managers and really amazing technologists that have made great leaders and managers. I think management is a skill and it's a job and you have to choose to be good at it and you have to choose to focus on it just like um, you might a technology project or learning a language. Um, I think you have to decide, like, I'm going to be a manager. I want to be a good manager, and I'm going to invest my time and energy in being a good manager. And that means maybe not investing time and energy into being a good technologist or a better technologist, right? Mm-hmm. So that's my opinion. You know, obviously we're in the, the age of agile, and I don't know if you're an agile proponent or not, um, but there's a lot of, you know, we obviously have tech leads nowadays. Do you still think the, the traditional manager is still required? Now, you mentioned management and leadership before, and I totally agree with those points, but, yeah, the traditional manager, do you still think they're needed or are they more of a hindrance? What, what are your thoughts on that? I think it depends on the organization and the people. I, I love parts of Agile. I think you have to find a process that fits your business goals and your needs, right? I, and I do, but I love the principles of like breaking things up in small, like try to get predictive, like working as a team to kind of estimate and, and kind of having the team be accountable. I think those are really powerful uh, tools and philosophies. Is a manager needed? I think that in most organizations, having someone who you can go to when there is a problem, having someone who is appointed to be your coach, those are, and to help you grow and who's going to help invest in you and have those conversations with you about your career are really important. I don't think that has to be a manager. Um, I, I don't, I don't think a manager necessarily is needed to ship product and to like deliver software. Um, but I do think that it's the role of someone, uh, that you can go to when you have problems and someone that is appointed um, and invested in you and your career is really important in an organizational context. Yeah, no, it's good. It's a, it's a lot about soft skills, isn't it, really? Yeah. And, and, and then how you structure your team might depend on who you have on your team. I, I think that, um, you know, a lot of people, I, one of the things uh, I went to this conference a couple of years ago, and people were talking about all these no-manager organizations. And the thing about no managers is it's really not no managers, it's all managers. And everyone is sort of expected to manage themselves. And yes. 
and be their own advocate and things like that. And that works really well with certain personality types. Um, and it doesn't work really well with other personality types. Like some people really need direction and need to be, um, and need a framework in which to work. And maybe they're not a good fit at those types of companies, but I think you have to know what your team is and who you have working for you and what they need from you. Yeah. I mean, you'd, you'd think that most people would feel more comfortable in a tradi- traditional company structure with management as opposed to these no manager organizations. I think is it Netflix or one of those companies has a, very flat management structure, some something like that. And so, GitHub is a they kind of have one. Uh, yes, yeah, um, yeah, that's it. But but I do think it depends on the person. Like I think I would do really well in a no manager group because I I am one of those people who just take control, who like insert myself. Like that's how I became a manager, right? I inserted myself in those situations. Like I wasn't afraid, and and I I wanted to fix problems no matter whose they were. Um, but I don't think that everyone has that personality, and I don't think that everyone necessarily wants to do that. I think some people just want to work on what they're interested in and, and contribute and be part of something bigger. Um, so I think it's just important to know your personality type and know where you'd fit well. But I do think it doesn't hurt to build communication and management skills, like no matter what your role is, whether you're an individual contributor or a manager or, or not, right? Like I think building those skills is helpful in all aspects of your life. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely. I'll take a programmer with excellent soft skills any day over possibly the most brilliant technical programmer because the, uh, the the program of soft skills is 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 so much more useful in a wider sense of things, you know, dealing with clients and all those types of things and gathering requirements, et cetera, et cetera. Or just communicating to you what they're doing and their progress, right? Like I think. Yeah, simple as that. Yep. Communication and um, learning to be proactive with your status and um, which is a lot of like just kind of core project management. But to me, that's a soft skill. But you have to have that to manage your own work. I think you have to have basic project management to manage your household, to pay your bills, to do your chores. Right. And and I think it extends in work and how you communicate that and how well how good you are, that how organized you are. Like it does matter and it does make a difference. So do you think, um, what are your thoughts on one-on-ones and do you think they're useful or do you think they're sort of boring on micromanagement or what's your thoughts? Um, I'm a big fan of one-on-ones. I think it's like a core, I think everyone should do them um, if you're in a management or leadership role. Um, mostly not because, not because, I mean, they do take a lot of time and to do them well, I think you have to really um, be focused and devote yourself and not be distracted, right? And But the thing is that it comes back to that film strip analogy of like having a really good relationship with someone because when you don't need a one-on-one most of the time, but when things go wrong or there's a problem, having built that relationship over time, having built that trust, um, I think it's the foundation of being able to really get things done, you know, and, um, and to give critical feedback and for that person not to take it personal because you know, when you tell someone they need to improve on something, you've talked to them 20 other times and haven't told them that, right? If you only talk to them once every or two times a year and both times you're saying, here's all the things you need to improve, like, it's really hard to A, look forward to those meetings, but B, to have a good trusting relationship and to take that feedback in a constructive way, like that person is really after your best interest. Again, it's that you only hear from management when there's bad news kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah. So you have to make an effort, I think, to A, praise people, but B, to be consistent on your one-on-ones, to be there so people know that you're there for them. 
one of the things with one-on-ones that uh, I've sort of had to put put more effort into is that realizing that one-on-ones are not just a status update in some regards. You know, obviously there is aspects of that. Um, I mean, you should have a fairly good grasp of what's happening just from day to day, but to use that time to build rapport, to allow them to be able to bring up anything that they want to be able to talk about, because as you said, you know, if things go wrong, you know, they're going to want to have someone to talk to, and there has to be some sort of framework where they can just quite easily bring it up in the one-on-one. So, uh, so I've sort of found that kind of kind of useful. So, how, how how about performance reviews and sort of how they fit in with with one-on-ones, uh, you know, developing your staff. Do you think performance reviews are useful or is there something more modern, and I'm doing air quotes right now, that we could be doing? Um, well, I personally am not a big fan of performance reviews, but I do think you need to have a formal structure in place to um, review employees because otherwise if you don't do that on a regular basis, then they don't have that feedback. And I find that if I don't force myself to, like, have those conversations, they just don't happen. It's too easy to get into the tactical day-to-day and just never have those bigger picture, you know, how are you doing? Are you growing in your career? And I think those are really important for most ambitious and driven and, you know, kind of hardworking employees that you have those regular conversations with them about what is important to them and where they're going in their career. So what I personally like to do and uh, is we do – Um, monthly goals and we review them and then we kind of do a quarterly check-in which is more about like how do you feel uh, things have gone and so the monthly goals we largely do over email where um, people just kind of share like here's what my I got done last month here's what I hope to get done so it's kind of like an ongoing um, performance review in that respect although typically we kind of talk about the overall performance in a larger context which is maybe like quarterly or every six months and we kind of just devote a one-on-one to kind of say you know, uh, what are your goals or like professional goals? How do you feel like you're moving towards them? That sort of stuff. That would just be during your normal one-on-one time. You yep. sort of slot that in, is that what you're saying? Exactly. And, and it's just more, um, we'll kind of send an email around and tell people, hey, we're going to talk about this this week. You know, here's the list of questions we're going to cover. Like think about your answers, maybe send them um, ahead of time. So sort of normalizes it to make it this big dramatic thing. Mm-hmm. So um, I read your article recently, you know, which was titled, What Do You Want to Be Known For? Mm-hmm. It's a great, great little article. Uh, what, what was your thinking behind that? What were you sort of wanting to con- convey? So I, it's interesting. I use my blog um, as every blog that was written. Well, it seems like it's written for other people. Um, it's actually usually a lesson that I've learned or I find myself teaching to someone else. And so um, in this instance, uh, this post was very much a personal post where I was just kind of journaling about what I really want to do um, because for the first time, and previously in my career, when I was at Microsoft or at Amazon, I always thought about what was next. I never saw that job as like my last job. And, um, you know, when I was working at Popforms, I think part of me, I didn't know what would happen, but I did think about selling the company. And I think... When, you know, I, I sold the company and I'm glad that I did. I learned a lot in the process, but I think one of the things that was so disruptive was I always saw myself that as like working towards doing a startup. And then I did a startup and then I was done with the startup. And then I was like, what's next? And I found this company. Um, I found my partner who I've actually known for 15 years and we just kind of joined forces. And I honestly see myself working with him for the rest of my career. 
Um, and so, and then when we started think, you know, we see this as a 10 or 20 year, a 30 year play, basically the rest of my career is like, we're going to be doing um, stuff in this arena. And so it became less about, okay. So I'd always written my blog with like about startups or about this or about that. And all of a sudden, like I'm working and while I'm still like software is a big part of what we're planning to do with Think and, and, uh, you know, we have a bunch of digital strategies. Um, it was all of a sudden I'm in this new industry and, and do I really want to be known in the marijuana industry? Not really. Like it's not my, it's not my thing. I'm more of a business executive, like startup, um, companies. And you're, you're not a, uh, him. Yeah. No, that's advocate. not my thing. Like it's not, it's not yeah. something I'm passionate about. I actually like, you know, between you and me, I guess, and everyone else listening, I don't use our products partially because I'm breastfeeding a child. Um, so that would be very irresponsible, but, but it's just not my thing. Like I've never, um, I joined the company because it's a really interesting business opportunity in a high growth industry. And from a a business perspective, that is really appealing to me. And so I've been struggling like, okay, do I keep posting about technology leadership? What do I post on? What do I want to be known for? And so so, cause I, I feel like I've built an audience. Like I have, you know, tens and thousands of people who read my blog every month and I, I have, you know, Twitter and I have all these things, but I'm not really doing the same thing I used to do. And I, I don't see myself doing another startup. I don't see myself. And so then I'm like, what do I do? And so, yeah, so that post was really like, it's a journal and I probably will have more like it as I try to figure out you know, how do I take my past successes and turn it into more future successes? And and at the same time, struggling with the fact that I'm still a little embarrassed to mention that I work in a marijuana company, like in all honesty, like I almost told you, like, don't talk about that. Just talk about me working at Urban. But now I'm trying to like own it and, and, and everything. Um, but it is, you know, there is a stigma and I'm not 100% comfortable with it yet. But, you know, it's, um it's very interesting, I guess. So it, it's yeah. a conversation. That's it. Well, I guess, you know, they always say if you're a little bit uncomfortable, it sort of means you're growing and doing new things. So that's always a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, it's, uh, but it's sort of interesting because I, and I think this is the first time where I'm ever like, this is going to be my last job. So if I spend energy, you know, away from my family doing things like posting on my blog or speaking at events, you know, how do I parlay those into something that actually helps with my, my companies and my business, or am I just doing it to make the world better? And, you know, and I just think having a purpose is really good. And so I just, I, I don't know the answers yet. So the, the blog post was me thinking through all of that. What I got from the post was that it's good to be able to try and parlay the position you're in now to the next position that you're going to be in. Um, and earlier in my career, that wasn't really the case. It was sort of more just, okay, this looks like an interesting programming job. This opportunity has come up. This is good. Um, but then the further you get, or I guess the older you get, you start to realize, well, you need to start looking at this a little bit differently. And, uh, so that's sort of the mentality that I've had of, of lately too. So you mentioned, uh, you've, you've recently become a mother. How does that compare to, uh, leading and managing other people? Um, well, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm still a new mom, I guess. Um, my child is 15 months, 16 months, I oh, guess. Great. So he's, it's been a challenge. Um, I think it's definitely caused me to refocus my priorities. Having the child is actually why I sold my company, I think, because I realized that I was working so hard and the end was so far away and that it was more important to me to, you know, I knew like to have flexibility and to do all these things. So I, I mean, it's, 
it's interesting because I think it's really forced me to be ruthless with my priorities, uh, triage my time. And it's also made me, you know, think a lot more about money and short-term versus long-term um, investments and, um, and just the risks I'm willing to take. And so, you know, if you're listening to this and you are young and you don't have a family, like go take lots of risks, like start a company, do crazy things. Um, Definitely. Because once you, and, and I know people say this all the time, but once you have kids and you have someone else that's accountable for you, you are to you, you have to refocus and you have, to, and your priorities have to change because otherwise you're an irresponsible parent, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. I got three kids. Oh, so you know, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, that's one of the things I look at. I was like, oh man, before I had kids, I should have done so much. I should have taken so much more risk, you know? Yeah. And, and I think, I think, I think being logical software developers, you know, I think we're pretty averse to risk. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's definitely something you should do. Well, and I think, I think that no job is ever secure, right? Like no, no job is ever secure. Um, so you have to weigh the risks and the rewards. And I think one of the reasons I'm still working in startups and I, I didn't want to go like to a back to a big company is I, the flexibility is really important. I leave every day my office by 4 p.m. I get in early, but that is important to me because I get home and I get to spend extra time with my child. Um, and then I get online and work at night, but that is a, a and I work some on the weekends to compensate that in fact I leave early every day, but I, I've a, intentionally chosen a position and a situation that allows me to have that extra time with my child, which is really important to me right now. Um, and so I think the other thing I will say to the young people in the, in the phone or even other people is build your career capital and get really good at something so that when you want that flexibility and you want that, um, that you're not having to work crazy long hours, you know, that you, you can, you can have, um, flexible in terms of time or more money or whatever is important to you. Um, and you only get that by working really hard when you're young. No, that's great advice there. So just changing topic a little bit, tell us about, uh, Spark Notebook and how that all happened and what it's about. Yeah. Um, the Spark Notebook is, I think, a great success story for like a side project that has turned into a really interesting business. So I am a big note taker. I have a little bit of ADD and I find that I don't remember things if I don't write them down. So I um, had a notebook and I would use my notebook for two purposes. One is like to write my goals and like my to-do list and kind of plan my day. And the other purpose was like take notes in meetings. Um, and I was like, I really love this notebook to like exist. Like I don't know why anyone doesn't make a planner that with like clear goals and planning and, and everything and that has enough room for like notes, right? Um, and so I designed this notebook that I wanted. I went to go get it printed. They were like, oh, it's, you know, it's going to cost you like $10,000 or something to print like five because all the cost is insane at the printer and all the stuff. So I was like, this is a great crowdfunding project. So I was like, I, I, I'm willing to like bet that this will be big. So I decided to launch it as an idea. Um, it did really well on Kickstarter. And we raised almost $140,000, like $138,000. Um, so that was really wow. exciting for a notebook. Yeah. Um, and then we did a second print run. And it's now a nice little project. Um, we're going to launch another crowdfunding campaign actually really soon, if it's probably already launched by the time people are listening to this. It's like a week or so from today or this week. It's a week from tomorrow. And that will be uh, for the planner version of the notebook because people love the planner but don't necessarily want the notes. They want the whole year because – 
one of the things we did was we only put six months of planning so that the notebook stayed manageable in size. And so people wanted a whole year. So we, we are doing a new version of it um, as well. And um, and so it's, it's turned into a, an interesting business, but um, it was really just something I wanted. And it was really more cost effective to do, a, you know, a thousand than five or ten or whatever yes. I needed. So Yeah, yeah, it's great. It's that old uh, scratch your own interesting, isn't it? And see if, see if other people have got the same interest. Yeah, and I love it because I, we created something that I think is really gender neutral. And so yeah, true. it's nice because people can, you know, it, it really fits everybody and you can take it into a meeting or the boardroom and it's not like a frilly pink thing or, you know, it's, it's, I think it, it's really high quality materials. Like we've used, like I, because it was a side project and I didn't care about my margins, you know, we made them all in the U S and, and like local, like we've used all like, like a rainforest friendly paper like the best uh, cover material like money could buy that was available, right? Like literally I've done the best materials that I could for everything that made it look awesome. And so I think that it's just a really high quality book too, which is really exciting for me. It's like way higher quality than any notebook I've ever owned. And so that's, that's pretty cool to make something that is all those things. Yeah, good quality, definitely. It's good to have good notebooks. Uh, I'm a bit of a fan of them too, so... I tend to just take a normal notepad and sort of, you know, have my own little sections. Pretty much what you've done, but, you know, you've obviously got it all formalized and all printed up. It looks, looks totally awesome, so you should check that well, out. Well, I'm going to send you one as soon as we're uh, – you also give me your address and I will get one in the mail oh, to you. Oh, man, that would be fantastic. That would be awesome because I've obviously uh, checked it out and, and got it. But, yeah, I'm like, in oh, Australia, I'm not too sure if you ship out here, so that would be fantastic. All right, a couple of quick questions then we'll – um. And then we'll wrap up here. So someone who's just about to start out, either being a team leader or a manager, what's your suggestions for them? Um, I think the first thing is I would talk to their manager about if they're not yet one and they just want to be to talk to their manager about their goals and try to come up with a plan or ways they can start kind of getting that experience. Um, I think the second thing would be, even though you don't have the job, like take the role. Um, So, for example, um, I have a guy in my team right now. Literally, I just talked to him about this yesterday. Um, we needed someone to step up and interview, uh, schedule a bunch of interviews and interview candidates because our um, recruiter was unavailable. And he was like, I'll do it. I can take it over. I will do all the initial phone screens. And it was only like three people. But to me, that's showing initiative, that if when someone continually does that and, like, makes everyone's life easier – um, that's what a manager does. The manager gets things done and removes roadblocks. So I would encourage people um, to look for ways they can currently do that um, and currently, you know, kind of uh, start adding a lot of value in a leadership capacity. Oh, but, and this kind of goes without saying, but I want to reiterate it. Always make sure you're knocking the ball out of the park on whatever uh, you're assigned uh, first and foremost. If that means cleaning the extra work or doing a little bit more, then do it. But I think that goes number one is that, you know, always be exceptional in your work because that's the first step. Very good advice there. I was talking, actually, I was actually talking with someone today. Uh, she works in a different department and she's been showing a lot of initiative and that's why she's now in a team leader position. And you're, you're 100% right. One, anyone knocking out of the park, management are going to notice. And so they're going to be on the radar. And two, taking initiative on these things. Sounds like you do. And I know I definitely do. If people are taking initiative and they have some dreams or goals that they want to do, it's it's so much easier to facilitate that as trying to drag other people along possibly. So, all right, well, thanks for um, 
being on the show. Where can we go to to find out more about what you're doing, Kate? You can always check out my personal blog, which we talked about, is katematz.com. And um, I'd love if you checked out my notebook, uh, Spark notebook, thesparknotebook.com. And, yeah, that's – and then if you are interested in my companies, it's urbaninfluence.com and thinker.com and think with a C. And I'll put those all of those links into the uh, show notes and some of the other articles that I mentioned too as well. So thanks for being on the show, Kate, and I uh, hope to talk to you, with you again soon. Okay, perfect. Look, thank you for having me. No worries. Thank you. That wraps another interview. It was really interesting listening to Kate's thoughts, particularly around the idea of managers existing to help others be successful, grow, and develop. For the show notes and links to the sites Kate mentioned, head over to www.managingsmartly.com forward slash four. And that's the number four. If you're listening to this in early 2016, you'll also find details of the contest I'm running to coincide with the launch of the podcast. Kate sent me two Spark notebooks, so I'm going to be giving away one as part of the contest. So make sure you check out the details. Until next time, remember to manage smartly. Thanks for listening to the Managing Smartly podcast, where we're all about helping software developers become managers. Check us out at www.managingsmartly.com. Oh, 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 oh